Today is June 21st, 2014, and this is episode 120 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is a new field of study. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, and investment advisor before making any decisions whatsoever for yourself. Today on Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're uh, joined by Stephanie Murphy. Hey, Stephanie, how you doing? Doing great. Today, we're going to be talking about Counterparty, and we've got actually quite a panel put together to have this conversation. Robbie, who's one of the developers. Good to be here. Next, we've got Adam Krellenstein, one of the other developers, goes by Phantom Freak on the forums. Hi, it's good to be here, yeah. Walking the divide between interviewer and interviewee, we've got Tariq Lewis. Great to be here. Thanks, Adam. So yeah, thanks everybody for uh, for kind of jumping in and uh, talking to us about this. We've covered Counterparty. You know, Robbie, you and I did an interview on it just a couple of weeks ago. We didn't have time to get to all the stuff. And so I kind of wanted to get together and have a larger conversation about some of the other elements of it and also kind of about where the project is going because there's a lot of activity that seems like is, is happening in this space. I'd actually like to start Tariq, with you, if we can, and kind of get a little bit of your background in the space. Because when I first met you, you were working on, I think it was MasterCoin? Yeah, I worked with MasterCoin from last year uh, through around January, February, as the uh, smart property, smart assets lead. And also, I worked in BizDev for the team. We left there and, um, you know, been working with, um, you know, the counterparty protocol for Digital Tangible Trust. And our company, Digital Tangible Trust, essentially digitizes all precious metals into digital convertible money. And uh, we then make that digital convertible money programmable by our counterparty. And well, we still work with MasterCoin and also uh, Colored Coins and Ripple as well. So we, we cover the gamut in terms of the various protocols. For the couple of listeners out there who haven't heard us talk about MetaCoins or user-created assets before, uh, can, can somebody just kind of give a brief overview of what the point of this is, why this is something that there are multiple projects like MasterCoin and Counterparty pushing towards? I think the point of, of MetaCoins, um, and of Counterparty in particular, is to extend Bitcoin's functionality in a backwards-compatible fashion, harnessing all of Bitcoin's advantages while still being able to drive forward, add new features and provide new functionality, which the community and the world can now have given the development we've had in technology since, say, 2009 when Bitcoin was created. Metacoins get to harness all the advantages of Bitcoin while still extending its functionality by building on Bitcoin. You get its uh, you get to to um, harness its stability, its security, its ecosystem, while still adding value. Making you want to make those evolutionary steps from the revolution that was Bitcoin. And I think that Metacoins are really are are the future of cryptocurrency because they work in this way. One of the things that the internet brought was the concept of edge innovation, where before the age of the internet, say, let's, let's take a look at phone networks. You would have these giant telco switches. And if you wanted to innovate on, on, on this telco switch, you would essentially have to modify the switch itself. And then there'd be regulations that you'd have to go through and standards that you'd have to deal with. The speed of innovation because of that was much slower. In the age of the internet, because of the concept of these multiple layers of protocols and encapsulation of one protocol and another, I can innovate at the edges. So I can I can make a new Facebook application. I don't I don't need to get Cisco's routers and switches to support my innovation. I don't need to go to the government and ask for permission there. I can do it. So literally, innovation happens at the rate that developers can write the code and push it out and and work to gain a market for 
for the application. And I think what was really special about Bitcoin is it brought that same kind of the capability for that same kind of innovation to finance and to the whole concept of money itself. So by being built on top of the internet and by being a, a, a creation in the internet age, essentially now finance and money can move at that same rate of innovation. So this brings us to the whole concept of money and what money is and and, and how money can, as Andreas had talked about, he had a, a presentation up at, um, I think it was the Ontario concept, where he talked about money as a language of value. I think we're all habituated to the concept of money within this nation state concept, but now in the age of the internet, is that even really necessary anymore? You know, I, I, on my Skype list, for instance, I have people all over the world and I can get in touch with someone from Thailand or China or South America or wherever the case is. And beyond the, the obvious point of which time zone are you in so I don't call you in the middle of the night, our, our interests are not about what country are you in. It's more about what, what are our shared interests and what are the things that we value together we have links because we both see value in this concept of XCP, which is counterparty's currency. And then also these, these different coins that are being generated on top of Bitcoin, on top of counterparty, you know, we see value there and we exchange these coins and we create a market for that. So it's essentially taking, I think humans intrinsically understand the concept of value. So it's really essentially taking technology and allowing it, allowing this kind of innovation and, and allowing people to create coins and create systems value at the speed of internet edge innovation. I think that's really one of the big things behind Bitcoin itself and behind counterparty extending on top of Bitcoin. Robbie, I really love that explanation. Sometimes when people are just hearing about this stuff for the first time, it's helpful to hear the big picture, but it's also helpful to hear specific examples of what this technology could do. And I know we don't even know everything yet because we can't imagine it, but what are some of the applications, I guess, for these kind of technologies that you're most excited about? We have Tarek on the phone right here. Tarek, you may want to talk through yours and then there are several others we can go into as well. Absolutely. Uh, Adam and Robbie are both correct. In our business, you know, in, in precious metals, trying to link that to the blockchain is not something we can do you know, quite easily with Bitcoin. And there are many protocols um, to be able to try to get this done. And, and to Robbie's point, making it easy to build or to link, you know, for example, uh, gold to a Bitcoin address is something that really has transformed for us the gold industry in ways that we are still finding out today. Most people will say, well, how do I connect gold to a Bitcoin? And we're saying, well, with Counterparty, uh, you can actually create an asset. And that asset is then secured by the Bitcoin blockchain. And we don't have to try to reinvent security. We don't have to try to build a new altcoin. Essentially have the evolutionary capacity of counterparty to extend Bitcoin's capacity to now we can create gold that people can trade anywhere in the world. It's a first for us. And it's not a first for the industry. Like, you know, to, to Robbie's point, you know, there are telcos, there are big banks that do what we do. Counterparty has allowed, you know, anybody with a little bit of money able to become their own gold trading company. And I think that is definitive and really democratizes access to finance for individuals and developers and, and dreamers and innovators who never had it before. And I think because Counterparty makes it so easy and so possible, there's a lot of things and a lot of new opportunities that we're still yet to see people innovate and bring, bring out of the Counterparty protocol um, by essentially leveraging Bitcoin. If we try to do this on our own alt chain, or if we try to create an altcoin to do this, we would be destroyed. We would not survive. To Adam's point, using Bitcoin's ability to extend security and other features that we could take advantage of is, is singular 
and unique. And um, I don't think any other, you know, secure chain has this capacity. And that really underlays one of one of the main advantages of counterparty over you know you know the the, the quote unquote first generation method might have been you, you you manually fork source code into this altcoin, and then not only do you have to gain a market and users of this altcoin, you also have to secure the altcoin, and if you don't, um, it, you know there's fifty one percent attacks and all of that, and and essentially now none of that's really. None of that's really necessary. It's it's like if if I said that if you wanted to have your own Facebook page, you need to go and set up your own, you know, copy the source code and set up your own servers and run that just so you could host your own Facebook page. You really, when you do that, you really cut out a whole class of, you cut out most people, which are not the most technical in nature. You have artists, you have entrepreneurs, you have people that do other things beyond fork source code and run servers. And now you can literally, you can go in a counter wallet, create a, a wallet account in about 10 to 15 seconds. And then in another 30 seconds or less, you can essentially create your coin. From that, the question then becomes, let's get down to business. I mean, publicizing it. Um, what do you do? Are you an artist and you want to promote your brand? Adam, I know that you're building LTB coin on Counterparty. So you really focus around the actual subject matter, which is really building a brand or it's doing crowdfunding or whatever, whatever the case is that that coin serves as a vehicle for. That's really the whole idea behind Counterparty is to really create a, an open platform for entrepreneurs, for developers, for early adopters and dreamers at this point where they can really come and, and build on top of it, utilize the technology and not have to worry about things like having to secure their coin or having to worry about all these crypto security concepts that go well over the heads of, of, of most people. So they can leverage what's there and focus on what they're good at. And it really destroys those barriers. No longer do you have to have, you know, in, in, in Tark's case, where to do what he did traditionally, you would have to have all this capital. You would have to go through all these kinds of regulatory hurdles and all this red tape. Much like before the age of the internet, you would have had to, if you wanted to have your own media outlet, you would have had to buy a cable station or get a newspaper and have to print all this, you know, have all these printing presses. Now, a blogger, I can go on there and if I have good ideas and good content, I can put it out there, publish it and build a name for myself. And I can do so with very little money. So this is really taking that similar same concept and it's extending it out to finance and out to financial markets. And it's only getting started. I mean, this is going to hit like, then I think the next step after this is like probably the, the stogiest of stogy fields, which would be law. I mean, you have the concept of autonomous contracts and things like that. So, you know, I think what we're seeing is we saw the revolution around information with the internet. And now with Bitcoin and counterparty, we're seeing it with, with finance and financial markets. That's just starting. And then we're also going to see it with law and in other fields coming up here over the next, you know, two, five, 10, 20 years. What I heard you describe is extensibility built on top of Bitcoin. And I agree that that's definitely inherently useful. But one of the questions that's come up a lot of times, and one of the most common questions we get when we talk about any of this stuff, is why is this better than colored coins? And what is it actually, and why is it good to have a token that is attached to these extensibility protocols? So in your case, it's XCP for your counterparty. Um, why is it better to do that rather than just build it strictly on top of Bitcoin as colored coins do? Both counterparty, for instance, and, and colored coins, they're both built on top of Bitcoin. Colored coin certainly is it's built more directly onto it. Because of that, it's it's much, much, much more limited in its potential feature set. Any any colored coins protocol really can only have one feature, and that's you know the creation and transmission of digital assets. Counterparty and, and, and a platform which puts 
the metadata elsewhere in a Bitcoin transaction, um, as opposed to in the outputs, um, it puts it in fake public keys or other spaces can have many, many, many features. Um, it, it certainly can have the digital assets. It can have the transmission of digital assets. It can have an asset exchange. Um, it can do crowdfunding built into the platform. And you can't have that with colored coins. You certainly can't do the more advanced features like betting and derivatives. Yeah, and to add on what Adam said, it's essentially with Counterparty, we're embedding our data in a different method that colored coins uses. And because of that, can really have this totally arbitrary data format. And with that, if we want to create some kind of feature or create some kind of functionality, it is really, you know, we're, we're not nearly as tied to the um, Bitcoin core protocol as something like colored coins is. So we have a lot more freedom and flexibility to add, to add features, to add functionality, just to work with the demands of, of, of the user base and what, what developers, entrepreneurs, what, what innovators, what, artists want, you know, what, what these various different audiences want out of the technology to be able to do what they want to do. If I can also speak to that a little bit, I'm talking a little bit more from the business side. I remember speaking with Mark Friedenbach about doing Color Coin and, you know, why, you know, even we work with Color Coin, but not as much. And I told him the core difference is the counterparty has always been for us about speed and about ability to deploy innovation and execute and test. So it's not just about the technology. So for you, it's also that Counterparty or the team has shown that they are delivering and that they're actually, you know, like they started this, what, you guys started this, I guess, six months ago now? Early no, so somewhere around November, the actual coding started on Counterparty D, and then we worked through December, um, and then the reference client was released on January 2nd. And then Counterwall develop, development started in uh, mid-late January, and that was released yeah. on a, around April. So Tariq, you're saying that you, you know, you trust in results here, basically. Because that's what happens when rubber hits the road, right? You know, we need to be able to make it work. That's what we got judged on. You can kind of think about this, the early analogy I use with the phone switch, like where a lot of the, the, the colored coins things or, or sing, things with, um, you know, even things like side chains, uh, when, when you're working with that, you, you're modifying, you know, script or you're modifying more core Bitcoin type functionality if you want to make, if you want to offer these kinds of extended feature sets. And with Counterparty, because we're really, in a way, encapsulating our data within Bitcoin itself, we have a lot of freedom. We have a lot more freedom to build in functionality and to do so very quickly and, and, and effectively. So really, we can add features as quickly as, as we need to. We're not limited by external factors that we have to go and seek permission or things like that. And in your opinion, that's something that colored coins or projects like that are faced by? I, I think definitely more to an extent that, than, than Counterparty is, yeah. I'm curious, like a little more specifically, how Counterparty works. So my understanding, I don't even know if this is correct. You can correct me if I've got the details wrong. But my understanding of, of colored coins, uh, for instance, would be that you've got these specific Satoshis and that they're somehow marked as representing maybe a piece of property in the real world or a piece of gold, let's just say. Uh, maybe Tariq could answer this. And then once it's moved around, it represents the transfer of sort of ownership of that asset to whoever has that little Satoshi that represents it. Did I get that right? And how is Counterparty different? That's absolutely correct. Colored Coins uses that quirk of Bitcoin that when you send money, you send it into particular outputs and particular inputs. You have sources and destinations and, and, and transactions are broken up into that in that way. 
Counterparty sort of abstracts a bit further. It takes Bitcoin just as a platform, uh, just as a as a data store, as a network for the relay of data. It uses it for what I call proof of publication. You know that everyone can see it, and you know that everyone can see it forever. It's irreversible, uh, that broadcast. And it uses it for timestamping. When you broadcast a message to Bitcoin, when you create a Bitcoin transaction, you know precisely when that transaction was broadcast. And it uses it just for that. It uses it just as a transport layer. You know, the analogy has been given counterparties like building HTTP on top of TCP IP. The analogy is not perfect, um, but but that's that's the closest thing we have to it. Um, and, and so the way it works is counterparty has its uh, totally own its, its whole own protocol, its own parsing, and it just embeds that data inside of a Bitcoin transaction. It just hides that data in there. Um, so a Bitcoin transaction has yeah space that you can hide arbitrary data in, and it puts messages in there. Messages like create this token, create this asset, send this asset from here to there offer something to be sold and bought, make this bet. And all of that can be stuffed in, is stored in one Bitcoin transaction. So instead of using a actual Satoshi that, that is part of Bitcoin, there's a different token. And for instance, that might represent somebody's physical gold, like in Tariq's case. Yes. Um, yes. But the, the, the tokens, yeah. the tokens have nothing to do with the quantities of Bitcoin. Um, right. It, so it, so it, it, it doesn't use the number that's a Bitcoin. It's more like an order, right? I mean, like it's like you're using the Bitcoin transaction as like a um, as like a envelope, and then inside of that is your market order or your bet order or whatever it is that you're trying to do. So it's just about uh, the transport. The order that's contained within can be whatever. This is a really rough analogy. Keep that in mind. But you know, you can kind of think of Bitcoin as like as 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 kind of as Adam alluded to the the internet or the internet the internet protocol and all all the routers and switches and you know bitcoin has its own peer peer network of these full nodes and it has miners that package transactions in a way you can think of counterparty maybe like facebook so facebook is this, actually its own application platform and, and, and you, when you join facebook you get your own page it's kind of like you can make your own coin and you can have your own brand you can build your own followers around around your your property your your page you as a developer you can also develop applications on top of facebook that you can syndicate out and you can you can um publish out to other Facebook users and they can use that. So Facebook has really built this ecosystem on top of the internet. And because I create a page on Facebook or I I create an app on Facebook, it has nothing to do with the internet itself. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't beyond depending on the base internet protocols, it doesn't, I don't require some, some guy running a router somewhere to do anything differently than he's always done to support my application. So, and really counterparty is a lot like that. And I think that's one of the, one of the, the big advantages of it is that we can move so quickly because there's no dependencies back on Bitcoin itself. You know, Bitcoin is is, beco- is becoming, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's still a small market. You know, five billion dollars or seven billion or whatever is not that big when, when compared to these these other financial markets. But that's still a lot of money. And when you get to something that big, you have to be very careful about making changes. You just like Satoshi did initially when he released this thing, modify code willy nilly. So by building on top of Bitcoin in this way that we have a so-called embedded consensus system, you make it so that you can be a lot more flexible and not have to depend on Bitcoin, the, the core Bitcoin feature set to the extent that something like colored coins would.
CryptoKit is the world's first Chrome browser Bitcoin wallet. It's the easiest, fastest Bitcoin wallet payment system. With a simple one-click install, it takes just seconds to get your wallet set up. And because CryptoKit finds the address and payment for you, there's no more fussing around or tab switching. CryptoKit is more than just a wallet. It comes with a preloaded PGP-encrypted social network, news feeds from Reddit and Google, and up-to-date charts from exchanges. Finally, CryptoKit directory allows you to make two-click payments with any of the BitPay merchants. Once you install CryptoKit, you won't need anything else. For more information or to download CryptoKit, visit CryptoKit.com. Hi, Stephanie here. Would you like to turn your book into an enthralling audiobook? Need a persuasive commercial to promote your company? How about a narrator for your explainer video? Here's where I can help. I'm a freelance voiceover artist, and since 2009, I've lent my voice to dozens of audio projects. To hear some examples of my work, check out my website, smvoice.info. If you like what you hear, I'd love to be the voice of your next project. Get in touch at smvoice.info. question um the facebook analogy um sort of makes me a little nervous because it's it facebook is a walled garden <laughs> uh, yeah well that that's that and that's where it breaks down okay. so, so th- that w- that was one of the main differentiating points with counterparties and, and you know when we get into proof of burn i think that will be really apparent to a lot of listeners you know all, all the technology is open source we've had a reference line from day one the focus has really been around creating this open platform that anybody could build up and, and, and use. And at the same time, not, cre- not trying to create this company around it. You know, you, know, you have like this, this company that has to raise money and uh, money's a lot like rocket fuel. When you, when you raise it, it can help out, but you can also light yourself on fire. That's from my previous experience. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I have, I have a, a business in another technology space. But the whole idea with Counterparty was to put the technology out there and encourage entrepreneurs and investors to build on top of it and not get in their way, not, not compete with them, you know? And we can point to several examples of this, you know, companies like Swarm, companies like Vend that are, are adding on to the core counterparty feature set and at the same time building up equity for themselves, building up value, building up a brand. And we're not going to get in their way. I mean, this is, this is really all about these people want to build value that want to wake up every day and do something really cool that they believe in and really enabling that kind of functionality and enabling them to make money as well. I mean, we're all for that. One thing, it's not that we don't want to get in their way. It's not that we won't get in their way. It's that we can't get in their way. Counterparty really is open in that way that no one has control over the protocol. Yeah. I think to just to take that to the final step with this, from the start, when we created Counterparty and when we conceived of the idea, the idea was to create something for Bitcoin and Linux. Those were our real inspirations there. And to create something that was bigger than any of the founders. You know, we don't need our egos at the center of this. And we don't, we don't need to be, I don't want to have something that depends on me in order to live. So our goal with Counterparty is to get it to a point where it doesn't depend on anyone in order to keep moving and to keep to keep growing. And just much like Bitcoin, yeah, if, if Coinbase disappeared tomorrow or Roger Ver disappeared tomorrow, yeah, that would really suck and that would be a hit to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin would continue. And and that's our goal with Counterparty is to, is to make it so that it's its own ecosystem and it doesn't depend on any one party or any one thing. There's enough people involved and invested in building on top of it that it, it sustains itself and it just moves forward. And it's not tied to the to the... To the, to the continued existence of any kind of company or party or anything like that. It's, it's a movement and it's a technology platform. 
So when you're talking about not letting founder egos get in the way, um, I see that from one side. But then on the other side of it, you know, talking about the launch of the uh, counterparty, you know, token back in, I guess it was December. I totally missed the uh, the event, and it was a proof of burn, which basically means that it's like a fundraiser, except the funds can't be used for anything. And then the other side of it is that you guys were all using anonymous names at that point. You were uh, using, you know, just forum names and not being public about your identity. So on the one hand, I see you have a point. It means that it's not about you. It's not about your ego. But then on the other side of it, it means that there's this huge barrier to trust because there, it's this giant unknown and somebody asking you to, to burn money, you know, on basically speculation that this project is going to happen. I mean, like, I understand why you guys would burn, but can you talk to me about kind of the thought process behind the burn in general? The concept of the burn in general was to, in the most minimal and optimized way possible, was to initialize balances. In the Bitcoin field in general, I think I think people have seen enough. Um, there's been a lot of scams and, and underhanded behavior and, and things like that. And still I'm, not, is. I'm not pointing. And there still is. <laughs> and I think that's just. I mean, when you, when you essentially create, you know, people here, it's a new money system. I mean, you're going to attract all all kinds of people, and you're, you're out of that, you're going to attract some unsavory folks as well. And um, and you know, people, some people are going to try to take advantage of other people. And um, with counterparty, we wanted to, you know, remove any any doubt about that. There, and there was a few factors. Of, yeah, the fact that when we initially did this, we were anonymous, and we had several reasons for that. We wanted to be about about the technology. Um, the the legal landscape was still very and is still very much materializing. So there there were some concerns there with technology that is this pos- that is this powerful, and that challenges the status quo, uh, like like counterparty does. You have to look at that and say, wow, you know, that's, there's a lot there. We wanted to have, when we did this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there was no way that, that we could take advantage of people with this. And at the same time, if I'm going to invest in a project, there's a lot that has to go on. And, and as a developer, I should not be any more entitled than anyone else who's investing. I think that was our, our, our feeling as well, that I'm investing at the same level as everyone else. It's kind of like the, the equality ethos that is really at the heart of, of the counterparty project. And, I want to play devil's advocate here for a second. Mm-hmm. So I again, like I agree with you saying that you can't, can't take advantage of anybody else as the dev team. But again, just like looking at the, the way that you did the fundraiser from the outside, it looks like you know people who don't have either inside information or aren't ridiculously optimistic about projects that seem like they might be scams. I mean, like it seems like those are the two types of people who you could possibly attract with this sort of thing, given the sort of conditions under which it was set up in. And I'm just like, what, were you looking for? I mean, like, hang on, um, Nigerian scammers. I'm not saying you guys are scammers. It's a terrible <laughs> analogy, but I just want to get it out there. You know, like they intentionally write emails that are not very good because they're trying to make sure that they don't get anybody who's going to obviously know that they're getting scammed. So, I mean, like, it, I just feel echoes of this here, and it obviously didn't wind up like that, but were there concerns about that? So, I mean, what happened? You guys you guys actually had a lot of, a lot yeah, of fun. So, so, when we started, so first of all, we benefited not at all from any of the funds destroyed. Um, in fact, every dollar, that every, every Bitcoin that was burned 
diluted what we burned. And so we wanted, we, we, you know, yes, we, we would have wanted people to, to burn less. Of course, we, di- we didn't act that way um, because we want also want, there's also the competing incentive to drive adoption of the platform. And we feel that there's a strong correlation between the number of people that get involved with the platform, especially early on, and the future success of the platform. But also, when we started the fundraiser, we already had a fully working client with all major features and far more than any other competing technology had. All of it was open source and no one had control over the project at that stage or, or you know, or could have control over the project at that stage. Was yes, it was. Public at that stage? Absolutely. Like when people were, so when people were burning, they could actually go to the GitHub and take we, a look we had at the It was a fully working client, working. Which, you could, which you could download and run <laughs> yes. and inspect. <laughs> that's, um, that's the point. And, 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 it, was and it had a build system. It, yeah, was it had a working. build system as well. Okay, yeah. you guys and, have to remember, this is January 2014. The stuff is working. No other, other meta protocol at that time was working. And you could yeah, I send, didn't know that part of the story. And, and so even when you, when you came onto the forums and you watched people burn, they were using the system to burn. So for them, it was like, whoa, it has begun. And um, the pace of pushes on the GitHub repo for that counterparty D, because people started to give bug fixes and people started to, the community came to respond. A lot of people were like, this is insane. Are you guys not keeping the money? How are you not doing this? Because it seemed like too good to be true that here you have devs working tirelessly to fix a protocol they had launched with burning funds that they would not then themselves profit from. I don't think any other project has done anything of that level of that just uniqueness. But from the history now, you look, everybody's talking about burn, right? You hear MasterCoin doing proof of burn. You hear Blockstream doing proof of burn. You, you know, all ch- It has now become the way everybody says, wow, this is a really egalitarian and fair way to distribute funds and to start projects, we're going to co-op this and use this as well. And I think that is an indication of the success of Proof of Burn, even though at the time it was, you know, people were just like, this is insane. I mean, you would, it, it was amazing. So it we seems also, like this works on projects where you don't need money, but I mean, like, but that that's a requirement, right? You have to not need money in order for a Proof of Burn to make any kind of sense for you. Well, I, I think that we, with this, we proved that in order to develop top-tier technology, you don't need money. You just you need a talented team that's dedicated to it and believes in believes in the cause and, and what they're doing. Linux was and, not created with money, right? It was you know created in in exactly. a dorm room for free. And some of the best technologies that's been the story. You know, same with Bitcoin. You know, Satoshi wasn't sitting on a pile of a million dollars when he decided to create Bitcoin. So we really continued in that same kind of vein. When you're talking about when you're marketing things and things like that, yeah, having some money does help. But at, but at the same time by working with businesses that build on top of it, they're going to have their own motives to get their, to get their word out. And we have several businesses, Targs is one, which are funded in which you have funds in order to get their word out. And guess what? They use counterparty. So, you know, we have our own marketing efforts for the actual counterparty platform itself, working with the partners and our, our, all the individuals building on top of the technology with their own motives and, and their own desires to market their product or service it really extends our reach in, in that way. To just to add to the, to the whole thing about this January burn concept is that not only did we have the working reference client, we also had a, a working build system and we had full documentation for it on Windows or Linux. You could, you could build Counterparty D. You didn't have to run a list of 50 commands to do it. For the most part, it just worked out of the box. And then even if, if you were non-technical to the point where you couldn't figure out any of that stuff or you didn't want to or you didn't have the time, you could do a burn through uh, blockchain.info 
just by sending Bitcoin. Uh, and we had a full guide on how to do that. And then we also had, we had a member of the community, Maximint, that stepped up, who was a trusted member of the, uh, the Bitcoin uh, talk community, who offered a f- uh, for a small fee to do the burning for you. And so there was ways for even non-technical people to get involved and to participate this. And all of, all of this was public on the counterparty forums. So we really, from the start, really put um, our, our money or, or <laughs> lack of money in this where our mouths were and, 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 and said, this is, you know, we're going to show you what we have here. It's, it's already done. It's already working. Try it out. You don't have to trust me with, 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 with nothing and all these, you know, that, that's what we've seen a lot of. We've seen a lot of talk. We've seen a lot of talk that was never followed up and we just wanted to do something differently. And also you have, I mean, to follow up with that, Robbie, moral hazard. Um, you know, even at MasterCoin, we struggle with the challenge of how do we use this money that we've collected? How do we spend it fairly? How do we keep it secure? All those costs overhead, you know, and, and MasterCoin's a great project and, and a great team. You, the burden of keeping people's funds and then justifying the spend of those funds is not trivial. And I think proof of burn just removes that entire layer of management and stress such that, you know, you can get, you know, your devs can get to work and just get the job done. Yeah, I'd like to add, that's all correct. Proof of burn really is very similar to proof of work. When you run a a Bitcoin miner, you're burning electricity and you're burning time and you're burning the money that you spent on on, on the ASICs or or the graphics cards that you use to mine it. That's how it has to be. And that provides the most fair and equitable distribution of a currency. By not like, you know, having it um, be deposited all into one address owned by a person or by a foundation, but rather having everyone be able to put forth effort, right? And because money really is just an abstract representation of, of effort, of value, and turn that into something new. Hey there, LTB listeners. If you'd like to be one of the first to receive LTB coin, now is the time to prepare, and you'll need to do two things. First, visit counterwallet.co and generate a free multi-wallet that holds bitcoins, LTB coins, and anything else built on Bitcoin using the counterparty protocol. With one click, you'll generate a secure 12-word password, and you'll want to keep that safe as it is your private key. Once you've created your password, log into your wallet, you'll see three brand new Bitcoin addresses you control, Copy one of those addresses and then head over to letstalkbitcoin.com and register an account in the upper right-hand corner of the page. Inside your account, you'll have a few options, one of which is my profile. Click on that and at the bottom of the page, you'll see a place to put your LTB coin address. Paste your newly created Bitcoin address, save the changes, and you're done. When we release LTB coin later this month, you'll be all set. So thanks for listening. Back to the show. So there are definitely a lot of reasons to be built on top of Bitcoin, but as I've used the system more in the run-up to, to the launch of LTB coin coming up, uh, I've been realizing just how expensive transactions actually are on the counterparty network. And so like it seems like there's a real trade-off that's happened here where you get the much better security of the Bitcoin network, but on the other hand, you know, like Dogecoin Nobody cares about fees in Dogecoin because it's so inexpensive on a per transaction basis. But I did the math the other day and I'm paying 26 cents US per transaction at current Bitcoin rates because it takes three transaction fees per transaction that I send. So, I mean, like, do you think that this is a problem that's going to be solved or is it just like that's just the price that you pay for getting all of the advantages of so using this? So, when you calculated that value, were you also calculating the, the, the value of the multi sig output? That was returned to you. 
No, I'm calculating right. how much is going out. Is is some people absolutely most at of the same is. time? The, the majority of money, even in the largest counterparty transaction, is returned to you. Okay, so explain explain to me how that works. So so I send you know so I send a transaction of LTB coin to myself. It has to ride some Bitcoin, and then it's some. There are multiple outputs, right? So I'm sending a. I think that at the total is like point zero 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 three six Bitcoin or something like that. All told, what happens to that? Where is it? So going? you're, you're I, sending most of it back? to yourself, um, and you're and you're sending a small amount of fees just to create the Bitcoin transaction, have it be related to the network, and that's the same with any Bitcoin transaction. The reason you're sending it to your, you're sending the money to yourself. All, all you want really is the counterparty data to be in the blockchain. And so the easiest, fairest, best way of doing that is to just send it to yourself, in which case it gets in the blockchain and no Bitcoin go anywhere. That's the idea. It, it's, ah. it's, you know, a little trick. And, and that most of the money is returned to you indeed. The fees for, you know, are, are also um, very conservative values because sometimes they're for very, very high value transactions, which you want to be confirmed as soon as possible. And, you know, a five cent fee on a $10,000 transaction on counterparty is totally insignificant and much, much better than any alternative. And of course, it's the same with Bitcoin. Counterparty has, has about the same fees as, as Bitcoin, and it can be tweaked, of course, for particular kinds of transactions, and most of the money is returned to you. So of this, uh, point zero, so of this 26 cents, roughly, three transaction fees, how much am I actually expending that I don't get back? D- yeah, it depends on which kind of counterparty transaction you're doing. Bitcoin addresses are large and they're long. And so when you send any counterparty asset to someone else, you also send him 0.0001086 Bitcoins, which I guess would be 0.5 cents, 0.6 cents. Maybe, maybe they're two zeros. I, I, don't, I don't remember. So let's, yes, say it's 5 cents. That's about the cost of a Bitcoin transaction. And indeed, all of those values for fees and for the amount of money that you actually send back to yourself, those are all set by Bitcoin D, by, by the core Bitcoin client. They're minimum values to make it reasonably profitable for Bitcoin miners to, to mine your transactions. That's a limitation of Bitcoin. Hold on. Are, are you saying that you can't cut out the whole step of sort of sending money back to yourself because that's what makes it go through the Bitcoin network? Well, th- this is the case with right now how we encode our transactions is with, with multisig. This is really the case with multi-sig. The costs of the transaction are higher, but it's actually a lot of that is, is, is returned back to you. It's just I don't believe at the current time it's 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 recoverable with with counterparty. Yeah, it, it, is, something we it, is recoverable. Um, um, the, the, some, it is recoverable. It is recoverable. Yes. Um, not with counterparty itself, but there, yes, there's yes, a website yes. that launched a few weeks ago that does that. It's very ironically DexX7, who is a Mastercoin developer, actually created a recovery app to recover all the outputs with one command. And I was able to recover a few hundred dollars all our counterparty transactions. So Adam, yes, you can recover all the money that you've been to yourself. That's the other thing I was going to ask is like, I don't feel like I've gotten the funds back. You know, I've done, we've had to move wallets a couple of times. And every time I have to move a wallet, that's like a hundred transactions because I got a bunch of different uh, assets kind of early on. So yeah, it, it's it's actually been a fairly decent amount of transaction fees uh, making these various switches, but that's great. So what's the tool again? For um, covering so Deck7 did an alpha tool. I'll have to find it. I can... Okay, that's fine. Link it to, uh, yeah. We'll link it in yeah. the show notes. Uh, if anybody's actually done this yet, it might just be me that's having this particular problem. That's really interesting to hear, and I'm glad that that's being solved. The distributed exchange. Uh, you guys have a decentralized exchange. That's one of the primary features. And I've had good experiences with it, and I've had bad experiences with it. And I'd like to kind of um, talk about that. The bad experiences have been trying to buy 
anything with Bitcoin. That's actually, I found to be quite hard. And I've successfully done it once, but it took like two hours and I, there was an hour wait in the middle of it. But on the other side of it, when I've tried to buy, yesterday I bought some Nice Plum, which is a, another artist coin, self-launched artist coin that someone's released on Counterparty. And I did it with XCP buying Nice Plum. It was done in like 15 minutes and I didn't have to do anything. So I, I've had like really good experiences on the asset side with XCP, and I've had really bad experiences with it on the Bitcoin side. What's the problem here? So, Why is it this way, and will it get any better? The reason it is it is more involved on the Bitcoin side is because the protocol ability to escrow Bitcoin because we we build on top of Bitcoin. Part of the decentralized exchange is is normally with a counterparty asset when a user makes an order, the protocol itself will escrow those funds, kind of hold them in escrow. And then as other users make orders where there's an order match, the protocol exchanges these funds. This is a buy and a sell side exchange. So so it's advanced because the protocol automatically matches uh, the funds. And with Bitcoin, you you essentially can't do that. I can't escrow those funds. So there's a follow-up operation. And in in between the actual order match happening – uh, when the protocol actually matches the orders, we do wait about uh, I think it's about five or six blocks because of the possibility of a of a of a what's called a blockchain reorganization, which could mess things up if if it happened during the course of that. So for so for safety reasons, we wait those blocks, and then in Counter Wallet itself, if you're using Counter Wallet, it will automatically make what's called the BTC pay, where it actually pays the Bitcoin. So most of this with Bitcoin. It really is just that the operation will just take longer. And if, and if you're selling uh, Bitcoin to buy some kind of counterparty asset, it's really that's when you have to really essentially keep the wallet open so that it can make that automatic BTC payment. Um, well, one of the other problems, though, that uh, I and others have run into is it seems like order matching is a little bit, I mean, it just seems like it, it's not working very well on the Bitcoin side. And like, I don't see, there doesn't seem to be a problem on the, on the counterparty asset side. But on Bitcoin side, you know, it's like if you're not directly matching an order, then sometimes it's not finding you. Am I mistaken yeah, on this? And part of that, and Adam can go into a little bit more detail about this if necessary, is that there are some anti-trolling mechanisms with fees that only exist for Bitcoin itself. And I think there's two things to remember with this. The first is that, you know, Counterparty uh, has the the most advanced uh, decentralized exchange um, that's out there. We're, we're really the, the first ones that started doing this. And, and our, our DEX is, is, is buy and sell side. It's the most powerful DEX. And it works with Bitcoin where you can essentially trade Bitcoin for any other kind of, any other kind of asset. And then also we do have this concept and it's, and it's starting to gain a little bit more prominence called XBTC. It's a proxy token for BTC, but a one-to-one, and it can be exchanged for BTC one-to-one as well. And so XBTC is also a counterparty asset, and you can trade that without having to go through the BTC payment operation and, and having to go through these kinds of issues. So we are trying to make this as fluid as possible, but just with Bitcoin itself, and it's only with Bitcoin itself, not with any other kind of counterparty asset, there's just this inherent extra step that makes it a little bit more cumbersome compared to your experience with that other counterparty asset that you that you. It is somewhat more awkward to, to buy something with Bitcoin than it is elsewhere. Better over time, um, as we tweak user interfaces, as we change magic values in the network, things like the number of blocks you wait after an order is matched to make the payment. All that, yeah, it's it's inescapable. But but really, what it what it does point to is is I think the remarkable ability of counterparty to interface directly with Bitcoin. That's something that you know an alt blockchain could never do, and that's 
a very powerful thing, right? That, that everyone has Bitcoin, right? A lot, a lot of people in you know in the cryptocurrency space have Bitcoin, right? You can almost assume that they do. We're not saying that you ha- you don't have to buy XCP, for instance, in order to buy another counterparty asset. You can buy that directly with Bitcoin. Yes, it's awkward, and yes, it it, it, might, it might take you know even an hour, but that functionality exists here, um, and it really can't exist elsewhere or otherwise. Another thing, Adam, as we're on this topic, I'll mention this quickly, but one thing that we're exploring um, at the current moment is is how to, you know, another issue that, that one you brought up in the past is the, the uh, when you when you do operations in CounterWallet, all of that is actually on the blockchain. So that, that means that when I do an operation, I have to wait for the next block confirmation in order to see that action actually happen and be published to the blockchain. So that, that is inherently, at one level, that's inherently how, how it is level there are kind of ways around that to reflect to have more immediate user feedback and we're exploring uh how to how to enhance the technology farther so that we can zero confirmation feedback this will make the experience at least look a lot more like a a a central you know working with btce or some kind of other centralized exchange where when you do an action you send stuff you you make an order there very, very likely is a way where that can be reflected more rapidly to you. And then it actually will still settle after one confirmation, but it, it allows the interface to be a little bit more intuitive where we can show it a lot more quickly. Another thing I've heard a lot about with Counterparty is betting. It's kind of funny that when we initially made this technology, I'm, I'm not a gambler by, or, or, or do anything with betting. This functionality actually comes from things, binary options and contracts for difference, which are legitimate financial tools. But um, they, it's also an extension of voting, kind of. Yeah, in a way. I mean, a, a binary option is essentially an all-or-nothing wager or, or bet where where I, I, mm-hmm. I bet on some kind of yes or no event in the future. Like, who's going to win the Super Bowl or will the weather in Philadelphia be above 70 degrees next Thursday? Anything that can have a binary outcome. And I have someone I, 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 I engage in that that uh, tool or instrument with, and then... If if I win, I get all I get all of the uh, their wager, and if I lose, I give them what what I have as well. That's what the tool has, but it can be used for all sorts of applications. And we're seeing with CFDs, you can use that for hedging, but we're also seeing things come out of it, such as essentially peer to peer sports betting and things like that. Now, that's not something we're running ourselves, but people are. This is an open platform, and people are building on top of this technology. And you have these feed operators coming off with that, which. Which in itself is actually, when you look at the whole field, is actually revolutionary. You don't have like this vig or this fee that that these people have to pay to a, a bookie in the middle. And also, if people don't want to pay that today, they they get on these. I was kind of my my eyes were open to this with 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 uh, Matt on our team earlier, who's who's a professional poker player. So he's all about he's all into this industry, but. If you don't want to engage and have that person take that 10% fee, which is quite often is what it is, you have these uh, shady kinds of forums where you are essentially trusting the other person that you're working up against. And they repeatedly have incidences where someone will just walk away with $50,000. They'll do a bunch of bets and they'll walk away with that. This technology can have huge, huge uses there to both lower the fee and to make it so that people are not getting taken advantage of because the protocol is actually escrowing the funds. Despite whether what you think about betting itself as as being something that just 
is or, or you see it in a negative light, at the very least, it can help make this behavior, which is I think people are just going to do no matter what. It's just it's part of what a lot of humans do. It will make it a lot more safe and, and, and where people aren't getting taken advantage of due to the decentralized the, the, the and trustless nature of this technology. There is, you know, binary options have, a, you know, a lot more um, to, you know, opportunity beyond, um, you know, just uh, sports gambling. Uh, currently, I'm working with a team that is looking at binary options on counterparty for earthquakes. Um, a lot of people don't know, but in California, in, in the U.S., we have about 176 earthquakes every day, and about 82 of, of those earthquakes are in California. Um, you know, the question we have is, can we create a, a binary option, you know, that pays out based on, you know, a trustless feed from the, you know, our earthquake, you know, measurement office in the U.S. that says, you know, hey, you just had an 8.9 or 9.0 earthquake on the Richter scale, you know, you will get paid out. Um, and so now we're looking at, wow, could you innovate on earthquake insurance um, based on a binary option approach? And what other ways can we use counterparty to really take advantage of one, trustless feeds, two, you know, uh, betting, but, on you know, betting on these new ways that protect people in ways, you know, whereas before, you know, you'd spend a lot of money on earthquake insurance or, or maybe even possibly be not, deny the insurance because you're in a high risk area. So um, I think there's a lot of opportunity, particularly in the insurance space, that is yet to be uncovered with, uh, you know, protocols like counterparty, um, where people are building that type of innovation. Yeah, and and this is this is really at its core what counterparty is. Like I said before, we release these general and generic financial tools, and binary options is one of them. And they have all sorts of applications, and people can use them for everything. Uh, there there are there are tons and tons of, of very legitimate applications for binary options, and, and Tarek went into one of them. You're just really putting the technology out there and people are going to come around it and build on top of it. And we really can't control what they use it for. But at the same time, it's it's really neat to see all the different kinds of ways. Like I would have never thought this earthquake application that people would use it like that. And the best kinds of ideas are they're just really the ones that we never thought of. Yeah, I love the unstoppable innovation aspect of this. And I like that you guys are, you know, again, you've taken the approach that it's all about the protocol. It's all about trying to enable people and, you know, create a toolkit and then just try and build it out from there. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, again, it's a it's a very interesting project. And I think it's very, you know, it's compelling to see you guys making such fast progress with it when it seems like it just takes a long time to build these things out. So, you know, kudos definitely at the pace of progress you're yes. making. That really is all the time that we have for this episode. Uh, clearly, we're going to have to get you guys back on in a couple of months and see what's developed with the platform because, you know, you've just rolled out the binary options a couple of days ago. Are people using those yet? For earthquakes? Yes. <laughs> we, just haven't, we just haven't launched it yet, but uh, yeah, there's some interesting stuff happening there. It's a great team we're going to Yeah, there's some, there's okay, some cool. stuff under development that it should be coming out in the next few weeks, I think, in multiple domains using that technology. Thanks for listening to episode 120 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for this episode was provided by Stephanie, Tariq, Robbie, Adam, and Adam B. Levine. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens, General Fuzz, and Gertie Beats. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.